the only reason that I am so enraged is because of the size of the house. And so I ask from a fundamental point of view, why does the house need to be so big? Everybody, welcome to Landline Podcast. You're lucky because on today's episode, it's Saul versus Alex, two white men talking about themselves. Call the landline at 503-894-8480. Here's your host, Alex McKay. Good evening. So glad to have you back. It's been some time. I think our last episode found me uh, teetering around the outskirts of the San Diego airport, knowing that life as we knew it was coming to a halt, but probably certainly more optimistic than any reasonable person would care to be at the present moment. We all just assumed that you turned into that movie with Tom Cruise where he gets stuck in the airport. Isn't it Tom Cruise? It's called Terminal. No, it's Tom Hanks. It's the Terminal. Right, right. Tom Hanks. Directed by Steven Spielberg. Yeah, Tom Hanks. Right. That was a kind of a bust. It was like after after Castaway, did they need to do that again? But I guess may, maybe. Will that ever happen again? Will anyone ever get stuck at an airport again? Will anyone fly? Anyways, the questions are endless. So you got through San Diego. I mean, we could do 45 minutes on that, but it's now seven weeks old. So maybe I should just not. I mean, I can't even ask you any question or we'll just we'll completely lose our topic. But how does it feel? You're in Boston. Do you miss San Diego? I guess is the, is the question. Yeah, I mean, send me back to San Diego. What so, are we waiting for, really? You know, we obviously talk in between podcasts. This is Saul, obviously, joining Landline. Thanks for listening. And if you're wondering where the hell we've been, um, I did seven episodes for the seven weeks of coronavirus. I might have done all seven in the first three weeks, but just hold your horses. I'm trying to make a living here. At least I'm employed. Clearly, you're not if you're listening to this podcast. So That, that sounds like the eight nights of Hanukkah. <laughs> and you're the eighth night. You're the miracle, Saul. You're the oil. We're, we're, we're tapping that last bit of oil, Boston, after I'm, 11 p.m. I, I, I'm the last candle in your menorah, and I'm honored. Oh, man. Um, not to get sexual. So, okay, so you do a really good job. The point is we talk, and I think, you know, you have a bad attitude about a lot of stuff, but your attitude around the weather in New England, is that just to keep yourself sane? You've lived in California now off and on several years. You are seasonal, as many of our listeners know. You go different places. You migrate like a, a, a songbird. But um, do you, you – I kept on being like, what's it like to be there? Freezing rain. It's cold. It's it's the, it's the still bare trees. I'm sending you pictures of the azaleas blooming. I'm sending you pictures of the rhododendron. We're past dogwoods. We're, you know, we're getting into um, peony season here, and, and you're still dealing with hail. Is that just a self-preservation, or do you not care? Do you think it's quaint? Like, how are 
there's a lot of New England listeners who might want to shoot themselves right now based on the weather patterns. It's it seems to be a, a bad year. I got so irritated when I heard you insinuate that I had a bad attitude about anything that I stopped listening to any other part of that question. <laughs> Look, uh, here's the thing. I'm in Boston. I'm in the one city that I never really expected to find myself living in, perhaps because it was our backyard city, our urban playground, as some might term it. And yet, here I am. But what I really understand being here is that, yes, the weather is a very fickle entity. And, yeah, a hailstone can bounce off your head in the morning and the sun might shine in the afternoon. And the only absolute seem to be that it can be warm and rainy or cold and sunny, but not both at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I get But that being it, said, it can be I'm cold, in the north cold end. And, rainy. and the north end is a cornucopia of Italianness. I mean, it, it puts Italy to shame. The, the groceries, the produce, the restaurants, the little delis, the sandwich shops, I mean, the pasta, the fresh pasta, the dry pasta, the unmade pasta that's just bags of flour. It's an astonishing place to be. And for a fellow who loves Italian more than arguably life itself, I've really found myself almost transported to a paradise for the time being. Wow. It's like that book, A Gentleman in Moscow, but it's a, a, a Jew in the North End where you're you're just stuck to your own devices in a, in a relatively luxurious um, Italian neighborhood. And um, although you feel like you can't escape, at least you have tons of wine and complex carbohydrates. Exactly. And I don't have to worry about Stalin's secret police picking me up if I go outside. Well, you wanted to talk about um, a phone call you received today, uh, apropos of the show. Um and from your mom, and you called me, which I appreciated on my cell phone, no less, but still, um, you called me versus texting, which mean, meant I knew you were down. I knew you were down. I knew you were DTF on the pod. So, you know, f- without make with, things sexual. Yeah, without without further ado, and and without a you know without a smooth um, transition, why don't you just lay the groundwork here? Because we all love hearing you tell a story. Well, so this this is a, a second degree story, as it were. But nonetheless, you know, my my mom loves walking. She walks all over town, long walks, every group, you know, you could name. And Occam Pond is one of her favorites, just as it's one of my favorite running routes and, you know, everyone else who lives within five miles. So she told me today, she said she went on a walk and she realized that she can't do the Occam Loop anymore because of the construction. No longer is it scenic or peaceful, you don't experience a sense of quietude or peace. Instead, the air is crunched by the sound of heavy, heavy machinery. Uh, you have construction equipment, you have crews laboring in their efforts, you have dump trucks dumping gravel, you have grinding and screeching noises. I mean, it's, you know, let's face it, Occam Pond has turned into, like, um, the Lower East Side in terms of its noise quality. And you, unlike us, live there, so you obviously, or your family lives there, and you grew up there. So I want to hear what you think, Alex. But to me, this is kind of uh, embodying the worst parts about where we live and what's happening to us. 
So Occam Pond, for those you know who don't know, is a is a pond in Hanover, New Hampshire, where Dartmouth College is. It's a certainly a bucolic New England town where um, many of the landline um, guests grew up, and um, certainly a lot of people who are in high powered places are far flung across the world. Forget about the power, just far flung across the world. Um, know about because if they went to Dartmouth, then they skated on the pond in the winter and they you know, drank at the outing club about uh, abutting the pond at their graduation party. They go back there for reunions. It's the classic running route in town from campus around down to the, of the pond and back. And anyone who's ever been to the town for 24 hours has probably done a loop of Occam, either, you know, walking, running, skiing, um, or driving in their car. So, so, you know, I mean, it, it's this is always a weird part of the podcast where it's like, okay, white people talk about not even white people, but like an upper middle class people talk about, you know, upper middle class things. But you know what? That's I, I'd love to see a study on how basically that's what all podcasts are and unfortunate at that. But um, I do think that there's some important things here that are pretty applicable to a cross section of the community um the worldwide community and and honestly that it actually starts to show a lot of the people who sort of thought maybe they were part of one segment of the of the economy and of the class and of the social fabric that they might not like exactly where even they're being left out and that's a really busy and disjointed way of saying the the accumulation of wealth that is happening right now um is is pretty disturbing and so this town that was certainly upper middle class and populated by professors and there's the you know biggest hospital in northern new england is in this town so a lot of doctors and although very white had an international flair with you know visiting professors or people who had come there to be scientists and doctors and you know everything professors of of any subject so there was some element of you know, culture there that you might not get in um, another New Hampshire town and even another maybe college town um, and a performing arts center and a museum and all of that stuff. So this town is certainly or this pond has certainly had big houses around it forever. Um, but what we're seeing now is the ultra wealthiness creep into a place that I think we always thought was protected um, I think that, you know, and, and another thing about this, Saul, that I want to get into is how Murano Gelato closed. Um, and, and I we'll talk, absolutely we'll talk about that. But you're yeah, you're you're pointing to the fact that, like, at some point, the Hamptons weren't the Hamptons, but then the Hamptons became the Hamptons. Right. And Hanover was never the Hamptons. But is Hanover now getting touched by Hamptonites? And that's really sort of what's happening when someone puts a $6 million vacation house on a pond that, as my mom mentioned, you can't even swim in. So I actually had a conversation with two friends, one of whom joins the podcast occasionally on Sunday just in a phone call. And they were like, oh, we're walking around the pond the other day. And have you seen this house that's built, getting built across from your parents' house? And we talked about it. And it's, you know, whatever, 20,000 square feet or something ridiculous. And there's a giant house next to it that is now dwarfed that, you know, I, the here's the detail of all details. The new house is so big that the solar panels on the mansion next to it will no longer see the sun. <laughs> I mean, talk about dog eat dog. That is a 
funny fucking problem. And this isn't and a I house. I use profanity only rarely on this show. And, and this house isn't for living. It's for vacation. Um, or it's right. for your kid to go to Dartmouth and you go up at parents weekend and at graduation and for, you know, winter carnival and you throw a catered party where you probably are flying in the meal planners and, and the party planners and the chefs um, from New York or from Westchester or from wherever, from Palm Beach for that matter. So, I mean, one element of this, the, the underlying current of this is is private jets, by the way. I mean, if you want to say what is the, you know, three-legged stool of this problem, private jets are one of them. And I grew up watching private jets take off from an airport in Nantucket from the beach as an eight-year-old. And I used to tell all of the parents on the beach as we had these family beach days, um, you know, I'm going to have a private jet when I'm older. And I, I, I never... Now you're, now you're saying if you can join them, beat them. Well, I mean, at, at, at this point, I'm not sure I would ride on a private jet if given the chance based on the... Well, I probably would, right? I mean, millions of people are saying, you know, shut the fuck up when I say that. But the moral dilemma of riding on a private jet and the environmental impact, it's like, it, you know, it's some sort of, of Greek myth when it comes to if I ever step on a private jet, the pain and anguish I will feel for the rest of my life as a result of that. So, so going back to the house, to me, I mean, it's so tragic. Well, it's, it's a lot of things. But I mean, Saul, the first thing is, what are we to do? We didn't stay there and protect the town. We didn't choose to graduate from that amazing high school, go off to college, you know, um, lucky enough to be funded and, you know, get told sort of our entire youth growing up in that community, you can do whatever you want. And you've turned it into, you know, art and I've turned it into um, advocacy and we've turned it into, you know, humor in our own ways and, and certainly travel and influence in our own separate communities in small but, you know, important ways. But we never decided to turn back and fight again. Now, what could we have done? Is there a law that we could have, you know, passed to get this house banned? I don't know. Like, I mean, where I go to is I can't wait till I go home so I can go knock on that guy's door. And when he opens it, which he never will, because he'll never be there. And I'm sure somebody like a servant opens his door, which is so like unfair. We can't even that I would just say, you know, thanks for building this house. You've ruined the neighborhood. Go fuck yourself. I will celebrate when you die. Like that's where that's where my anger level is right now. Just to clarify, like I will read I the I will read the obituaries in the New York Times, and then celebrate the day you die with like a vintage bottle of champagne. And you know the other place I come from is all these houses. I always dream of a world where I become so rich that I can buy these homes and then burn them down, and then leave like a wildflower flower meadow in the in their place. So, I mean, but, but back to my point about defending things like... But, yeah, so here's, here's the thing with, when it comes to defense. I mean, we, when, you, when you think about the mentality of the town going, going back decades and decades, it was always defend itself from the low-hanging fruit of, you know, the franchises, franchise culture. And our town builds up these fantastic defenses you know, we built a Maginot line of anti-McDonald's fortifications and, you know, spiky pits that would nab any, like, Walmart or, you know, Wendy's, that franchise that tried to come in. 
And we never, you know, we, we blocked all of the stuff that looks, quote unquote, and let's face it, the word is trashy, right? Like our, our town was always like, we do not want to be the town that has a Burger King sign hanging over Main Street or within town limits of Main Street. But in doing so, my belief is that we were like a uh, a rabbit that's galloping and sprinting across a meadow and leaping cleverly over every hole, and it doesn't see a giant owl swooping down over it. And so our town, in avoiding trashiness, left itself wide open instead to the plutocracy and to the predatory uh, owl snatching of people who will buy a $6 million property and build it so high that their neighbors are cast in shadow and will envision turning Main Street into Madison Avenue and will jack rents up so much that normal businesses close down. And that's when you see the finance and law and, you know, banking centers with their terribly boring logos, you know, popping up like mushrooms up and down Main Street. And at a certain point, you're left with a town for sure, but what kind of town is it and what kind of soul does it have? And I think that's what Hanover is wrestling with. They they were always a college town, and they did a good job at avoiding becoming a franchise town. But what's left? Are they just going to become a Madison Avenue type of town? Well, there's nothing left now. So, I mean, there's there's so much to get to now. But the pizza restaurant that we all grew up going to, which had, you know, burgers and chicken sandwiches and did delivery to all the drunk drunk frat boys, you know, late at night. EBAs, everything and, yeah. but anchovies. Let's, let's call its name out. Right, EBAs, everything but anchovies. A, a, a place where I was recently um, traveling. I was back east for work at one point or I hadn't moved back out west. And I was going down to Providence to see my colleague who shared an office with somebody and – who had gone to Dartmouth and like, you know, one thing led to another and he knew I was coming down and he actually, he like got my email and was like, will you bring me an EBA's chicken sandwich to Providence tomorrow? And I had to tell him that EBA's had closed a week earlier. Don't kill the messenger. And, and so, you know, so that's out of business because Domino's was in the town next door, Lebanon. It's like technology is at the root of all of this stuff. There's now a Verizon store on Main Street, I learned on Sunday. There's a C- oh, I've known that for years. There's, there's a CVS that, you know, overtook the Grand Union supermarket, um, which I guess is kind of a like-for-like, like, although not really. CVS is just full of pharmaceuticals and plastic from China and corn, corn and soybean food. And then um, the there was finally sort of a new business of a gelato sh- store that uh, a Hanover High grad opened that just closed because of COVID nineteen. But I mean, fundamentally was struggling to survive. I, I don't know that personally, but that the seasonality of the town and the lack of sort of any robust Main Street culture, anyways. And and why is there a Verizon store on Main Street of one of one of the richest hundred towns in America? Because Nobody buys anything anywhere except on their cell phone. So instead of needing a, a, a you know a, a sweater on Main Street, you need your phone to get fixed or upgraded so you can buy a sweater from jcrew.com, although there is a jcrew there. So that's a bad example. So so you know, and now that story everybody knows. 
But getting back to sort of the ultra wealthy, and there was this incredible article in the New Yorker, and I asked you if you read it, and you said no, you're backed up on New Yorkers. So right before we started podcasting, I was like furiously running up and down all through all the rooms of my house to find the New Yorker, and ironically, I found five copies of the New Yorker. None of which are the one I needed. I, 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 I have five copies of The New Yorker, none of which I need because they're the five I haven't read. This is the only one. I mean, The New Yorker, not reading The New Yorker is a podcast. You've heard of The New Yorker Radio Hour. Well, how about The New Yorker? I've never read it, but I've been subscribing for 12 years. That's a podcast. So, <laughs> so, um, but there was this incredible article in the most recent New Yorker, and I, I'm loath to speak politics on this podcast because it's done badly everywhere else. But the, the the name of the article was um, how Trump – basically it's about um, – what's the name of the article? It's it's how Greenwich Republicans, you know, turned to Trump. Like how Greenwich, Connecticut Republicans who are classically the like um, George, George Herbert Walker Bush Republicans because his father before him, Prescott Bush, was from there. Traditional Yankee Nelson Rockefeller Republicans decided that they would kind of sell their soul to the devil to Donald Trump and help him win the election. And, you know, it goes into why and how. But a lot of the, it's written by a gentleman who I think won the Pulitzer Prize writing a book about China a few years ago who grew up in Greenwich and who talked about how his town was always wealthy. There were always big houses. There were always people traveling to New York on the train to make lots of money. You know, the chairman of GE always lived in town. But now you have multi-mansions with owned by, you know, hedge fund managers and private equity managers where they are changing the laws to build what used to be two foot tall, quaint New England rock walls into nine foot high cement barriers that surround these castles and how basically the entire fabric of the town has changed, but they're not doing anything about it because of the tax base, the property tax base. And it to me the the closing of Murano Gelato, this article about Trump, you know, Trump Republicans in Greenwich, and then this house building getting built across the pond from my from my childhood home is all just this kind of intense and horrible collision of how Bernie Sanders is right. He shouldn't be president, but he is right that all of the wealth is being accumulated in the hands of not even thousands, it's hundreds of people in this country. And everyone who's at our station, which is, you know, we both have master's degrees. We both went to really well, you know, reputed schools. We both are employed right now. We both make good money comparatively. We are at, we are now threatened. Like this is the classic NIMBY this is the classic, you know, and then they took my neighbor. This is now, like, this is fucking up my perfect bucolic world that these people couldn't fuck up because they were riding helicopters to the Hamptons and, you know, flying on private jets to Ibiza and, you know, you know, doing X, Y, and Z. It, I never cared. Hanover was, was, you know, four hours from New York, two and a half hours from Boston. It had, it wasn't, it wasn't cool. It was quaint and it was a college, you know, a hick college town. And now they're fucking that over. Like, we can't escape. This is geo. Sorry, and I'll shut up soon because I know this is you just being tired, wanting to go to bed, listening to me rant. 
into a phone but like this is geolocation of instagram this is facebook this is everybody knowing each other at every prep school this is everyone going to the same vacation there is no uniqueness left there is no there is no individuality of place or culture or people everything has to be nantucket dartmouth hanover you know east hampton you know, Palm Beach, whatever it is, whatever. I mean, and I can name those all day. I'm sure other people are, you know, you know, which, which golf club do you play in Florida? And it's all just, well, it's just this, this tiny little race of, of the wealthiest Kings and we're letting it happen. And coronavirus isn't even ruining that either. Like I thought coronavirus would ruin that. And it's not, they're getting the PPP money. They're getting bailouts. They're not worried about it. They have shitloads of cash and, they're then just, what are they even going to do with a house, Saul? Let's go to something that you can tap into here. What are they even well, going to uh, do with that house? I'll, I'll, before we even go there, I'll, I'll, I will just say I'll, I agree with what you're saying. And to keep Hanover as this sort of microcosm of the, uh, the situation we're describing, when I walk down Main Street and see a boarded up building that used to be canoe club where that was our favorite place to drink and go out and then next to it a boarded up space that used to be the bookstore which i spend god knows how many hours of my life happily reading in from when i was probably four years old to you know 34 and then when i see a boarded up place that used to be eba's and how many funny fun memories do we have of 2 a.m. chicken sandwiches or sports team, you know, dinners in high school there, et cetera, et cetera. And when I walk past and see plywood up, you know, half the town, it makes me wonder what exactly these capitalist forces are doing and what they're producing. And in our efforts, or should I say their efforts, to squeeze every dollar out of the um, people paying rent, you know, you start to run into some troublesome evidence, such as the, the, the town businesses that we love and cherish are dropping like flies. And I think that nobody can walk down the street and see those things who's growing up in any town and not be worried about that. And that's a sad thing. So, and, and I mean, there, I mean, who knows if they'll ever listen to this podcast, but there are millions of people in this country who this happened to 15 years ago. And they're like, what planet are you guys on? Like, I mean, I'm not even, you know, they're, they're saying, I'm not even sad about this anymore. Um, you know, they, they, you know, whatever they, they turn my main street into an, an indoor, you know, plant emporium or something. I, I mean, I wish that they would, and maybe that's what we need to do. Maybe we need to stop. Maybe we need to like just jump the shark and stop trying to have Main Street retail exist and have it be like a pollinator habitat and, um, you know, pianos that are, are covered in shelters that people can play and like BYO bottle of wine sit out posts where you have to like scan your ID to show that you're 21 so a gate opens and you can um, sit in like an, an eagle's nest on the second floor of main street and watch like people promenade in the summer afternoon. Like maybe we shouldn't try to make commerce in these places anymore because this sort of half ass, like, Oh, you can order online and pick up from the store or, 
you know, the post office is still there. You know, I believe in the post office, but like, you know, that's, that's not, that's not long in the tooth or it is long in the tooth or something. It's got, it's got no teeth. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, what look, you're, you're absolutely, you're absolutely right. And, and the subtext of what you're saying is that there's a lot of towns and many of them are within a half hour to 45 minute drive of Hanover, New Hampshire, that would be deeply, deeply jealous, obviously of this problem. I mean, they'd, absolutely say this is a problem that everyone should be so lucky to have rich people want to pay a lot of money in property tax and businesses want to pay a high commercial tax and you know so forth and so forth i there's there's not many towns in most states including our state new hampshire that can boast that but we are running into the fact that here's what happens when um when a species does too well, that's, you know, the dinosaurs were doing really, really well 65 million years ago. And then they weren't all of a sudden. And we're maybe getting humbled a little, our own species with coronavirus. I mean, we can all blame the edible that I ate for me sort of, uh, rapsing philosophical about these things, but maybe we are starting to see a situation where, uh, the center cannot quite hold. And I think that if our town is becoming a microcosm of that situation, it's a sad, but perhaps fitting thing. So what is your, what is your mom? What, I mean, what could your mom do? And any mom and my, I mean, my, my parents live across the street and I don't know whether it's because my parents have had this exact same thing happen on Nantucket for the last 40 years where they were able to buy land on Nantucket in the early 80s in a recession um, and build their own house, which is, you know, beautiful and incredible. And I couldn't be more lucky to have a tiny, you know, family piece of, but um, is certainly quaint by Nantucket standards, a true summer house and, and um, you know, a cabin more than what people would consider a summer house. And, and they've seen mega mansions get built up all around them so that they're sort of desensitized. And I can certainly call them and ask them. Um, but um, what is your mom to do? Uh, like if if your mom and me and you and all of the – if all the artists and all of the in, intelligentsia understand that – this is wrong, what's going on on that house and other houses and what this house represents. Because I know that that entire pond is now surrounded by houses because down the street from me is a whole nother like hedge fund guy who's building like a modern home with a bunker in it. And we haven't, and we don't even know, we're not even talking about that one. That must be the screeching and the, and the gravel versus the landscaping crew. So, so this entire circle of a pond is now, I know for a fact Second homes where the kids, the kids who are there, these people's kids who go to Dartmouth get to go throw parties without fear of any sort of retribution for drinking underage that they go. And it's like everything is so like part of drinking underage. The fun is that you can get arrested, you fucking idiots. If, like if my kids Absolutely. are drink, if, if I ever catch my kid drinking underage at a place where it was allowed, I'm going to be pissed. He better be taking a risk. Talk about the ultimate like like explosion of the landline philosophy, drinking underage and not having a risk. What's the point? It's not even that fun. You just puke. So so 
the you know now I'm off on a, on a rocket here but what are we to do what is your mom to do she she's probably and you know I'm not gonna we're just using her as an example we don't really know what she feels but a person like her could write a letter to the the editor of the local newspaper and say in you know much more elegant and well coined terms this person is a fucking asshole and I'm pissed that they're in my town she could you know she can't stop the house being built she and if she did the letter writing she alienates herself to potential some sort of retribution from other people in the community i mean i guess that's what local politics are at every stage but i mean what are we to do what are the people with the hearts and the and the minds and the creativity that lead to society changing the way that they do things like eating local food or listening to different music or deciding to like celebrate the arts in a new way. How are we to lead these people to, to rebel against this? Well, it's a, it's a disheartening situation. I think, I think we're seeing that money talks and that it's very, very difficult for any one person or any number of people to argue against that or rebel against that. For example, my mom could choose not to walk around the Occam Pond anymore. I could choose not to jog around the Occam Pond anymore. I could also write a uh, letter to the Valley News, as I am fond of doing many times. But what would that produce in terms of results? Zilch. Zero, nothing. Bad architecture is so bad because it seems so, so permanent. You know, like bad, you know, bad. There's so much There's so much bad taste in the world that can be undone relatively quickly. But, you know, the, 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 the Russian oligarch towers on Central Park and, you know, hideous beachfront installations that were grabs for money and, you know, destroyed the mangroves and and the local you know riparian species like they're so permanent and they hurt they hurt so bad um unless you can somehow i guess buy them in bankruptcy and then and then take them apart which is like what happens when the astrodome gets exploded because like it's cement and carpet for for you know for players to ruin their knees on but um but the whole the whole point is we didn't want to be billionaires real we didn't even really want to be millionaires, row. We barely wanted to be a row. We, you know, it was it was a pond with some nice houses around it. And now it's turning into Hampton North. Right. And to me, that's a gravely problematic thing. So do you just leave? I mean, do you just leave? Like, what is it? I can hear my wife in the back of my mind saying, like, why are you fighting for this? And I mean, I think it's I think it's a legitimate question. I mean, I know why I am because of this sort of you know New England Scottish sense of what is right, and and it's my you I know. Think, I, I think it's very simple. I think I think these things are worth talking about, and I think these things are worth pointing to, and I think that it's worth the people who care about a place to be able to raise their voice, however mildly or not and say this is not particularly right that's how i really feel oh well this has got to be the most depressing pod we've ever done um 
I mean, I guess it's not the end of the world, right? There's... Would you say that objectively? I think we've done some pretty miserable ones. <laughs> well, what's, see, what's so depressing for me is I can— I, I mean, I, look, let's put it a different way. We, we, could be, we could redo this entire conversation as if we were British and just not— and just all of this would be condensed to one sentence, which is jolly well done. I listened to a podcast yesterday with Roald Dahl done in 1979. Wow. And they asked him about his military history, which I happen to know was severe. He joined the Royal Air Force and I think was in a squadron where he was a number in a group of five pilots out of 25 who survived the war. I mean, this was... Not a squad, not a squadron that you really um, did well in statistically. And he summed it up as saying, you know, something to the effect of there were some rough spots in in the war. This wonderful British restraint. Yeah. They also asked him if he had to go to a desert island, what he'd want to be trapped with or secluded with. And he asked if he could have two items, one of them being tobacco seeds, and the other one. Uh, some kind of distillery because obviously if he just brought alcohol he'd run out <laughs> creative so my point is that we could keep a stiff British upper lip and say all oh, this is fine because even though it's eating us up like a cancer inside and driving us mad with unhappiness and sadness we'll never let on to anyone that that's the case well, I think at the at the core of what I want is for that person and these people who are building these homes and flying on helicopters and are in charge of, you know, American politics through their shadow corporations and unlimited corporate giving and all this stuff is that I don't I want them to know that I don't want their life. I don't want what they have. I don't I don't envy them. I don't wish that I had you know, indoor swimming pools and basketball courts and, and kids that get addicted to heroin and hate them. And, and I just, I, I'm not, I'm not into that. So I don't, if you're building a giant dick statue to yourself with the hope that we're all impressed, I think it's, it's passe. It's over. It, it was over in 2008 when the economy crashed. Cause all you motherfuckers stole all the money and none of us are, are like blind to the fact that you've just been rewriting the rules to steal more of it. And we don't give a shit. Like, you know, it's like, I will, I, I have better sex than you do. Like you can't, so you, so you, you can't beat that. So do you think they should be called out or shunned? Should they, would you publicly shun them? I, you'll, of course, I mean, if we could, if we could, if people could throw rotten tomatoes at this guy on Main Street in Hanover in front of the Verizon store, I mean, that is, that's the. But I mean, if you, if you, if you ran into him on Main Street and you knew who he was, which would be easy enough, would you, would you turn your back? Would you point at him and and say, "Sir, I disagree with you," perhaps in stronger or saltier language? Like, what? How how far are we allowed to go? Well, I would do. I would probably. I mean, or can we be like the barbarians with the Romans and just, you know, like uh, roast them over a campfire? Well, we're not even allowed to like go get, you know, 
artisan salami at the uh, at the um, charcuteria <laughs> right now. So I don't know if we're allowed to do that. Um, you probably are. I'm sure the North End is open, but um, I've been three times today. Um, I mean, what I would probably do if I had the same reaction I did to the guy with the leaf blower um, that was outside my house two weeks ago, I would sort of in a fit of rage have like a relatively, you know, um, not unsophisticated, angry outburst at him um, that was, you know, you're ruining this fucking town. Go back to Greenwich. Um, and then I would, and it might, my, my three-year-old would probably be in the backseat of the car or, or walking with me and, you know, he would start to cry and then I would have to tell my therapist about it. I mean, that's probably what would happen for me. Um, and, and I would probably then like get hot around my neck when I thought about how I had done that, um, for the next five or 10 years. So, I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> that's. That's sort of my cross to bear, which is that I can't I, like I agree with you. Like I am stuck between like the moral upbringing I had of respecting other people and, you know, respect thy neighbor and, you know, and, and freedom of freedom of consumption, apparently, that I, I, I feel stuck between wanting to like pop all this guy's tires and and just, you know, w- winning him over with kindness and that's basically my father and my mother combined to make me. And by kindness, just, you know, can I come to your housewarming party and have a bottle of, like, shitty overpriced champagne while looking out at, like, the solar panel that you blocked off into shadows? Yeah, or just, you know, welcome to the neighborhood, let us know if you need anything kind of thing. Because sure. then you can sort of show them the way, right? This is the way we do this in Hanover. But the whole point is that they're coming in and their mentality is we'll do exactly as we want and we will expect the genuine country courtesy that a town like Hanover is expected to produce and, in fact, is why we're moving here instead of the Upper East Side. But but this gets down to and this is I think maybe where we wrap. I mean, Alex, let me tell you. Let me just tell you one one little memory from our own history, and this is going back to 2006. This would be uh, summer 2006, and we were moving out of an apartment in New York that the two of us shared, as everyone listening to this should know, and. The nice thing was we were talking to each other and so forth while we were moving out. Obviously, you had moved out prior to me, and we'd stopped talking for some time, so this was a an important step. And so we were moving out, and we'd have our stuff in the back of a cargo van of some sort, I'm sure, and we're driving from New York, from Manhattan specifically, to New Hampshire, north, and you hit Vermont, obviously, as you have to do to get to New Hampshire. And we stopped at a rest area, and we pull over, and there are these uh, lovely ladies selling baked goods, cookies, and uh, crumpets, and strudels, and, you know, loaves, and breads, and different types of baked goods, and pies, and whatnot. 
you know, we took these different cookies and so forth, and we were excited. And we go to pay, and we say, how much is it? And they shake their head and say, no, there's none of this is for sale. You can have whatever you want. And this seemed so astonishing that we looked at each other in bewilderment. Where's where's the cash? Where's the fine print? We're coming from New York. Are you are you saying that if we buy this chocolate chip cookie, you're giving us a loan at like 19% interest, and you'll come to our house like every month to collect? Like what? what where's the cash? But indeed, they were just lovely ladies giving away baked goods, and we gave a small donation and ate the cookies. And to me, what can better encapsulate a transition from New York City to Vermont, New Hampshire, New England? There's there's no better moment that, that says that. You, you go to a bake sale and they won't take your money. And to me, the people building these fortresses, these gated castles on our beloved Occam Pond, that's what they want. But at the same time, they want to buy the whole fucking bake sale, every bit of it. But they want the people to give it to them and be really friendly while they're doing it. Well, I think that that brings me to kind of the crux of the problem here, you know, beyond all of my musings on what horrible people these are, they actually might be good people. They might be very giving and and all of these things. And, and the only reason that I am so enraged is because of the size of the house. And so I ask from a fundamental point of view, why does the house need to be so big? It's not because they have 112 children. So what is it? If you're a 63-year-old Lehman Brothers executive, you know, who then ended up getting bailed out and starting a new hedge fund and making 10 times his money, you you don't play pickup basketball in your indoor court underground on the one Saturday a year that you've flown in on your G6. You you don't do you don't need three home theaters. If you're coming to New Hampshire, fine. How, you can I don't even know how much money you have. I'm not even angry at you. There's just no class in this. This is not plenty of people have had shitloads of money, but they didn't build houses like this. Exactly. So just build a smaller house. All right. Do you want to just go? I think it's probably we got it. We got to just go. I can I can tell. I mean, that, that was good. That That's a good segment. Do you want to call Max or do you want to just go? Let's let's get him. Let's let's call him for five minutes if he picks up. All right. You call him and then and uh, and and then loop him in and I can do a, um, a hit here on the phone number and, and all that stuff. We'll keep it rolling. All right. If he doesn't pick up, let's just finish with something pithy and tight. Okay, I made All right, all right, good. Landline. Thanks for listening to Landline. The best thing you can do to support the show is tell a friend or the actual, that's that's an A. An A plus is calling the show. 503-894-8480 is the landline. 503-894-8480. Leave a message. I might pick up and scare you like I did for some of our guests, for some of our message lever prospects last time. 
Um, hopefully they'll call back. Didn't pick up. All right. Well, I'll just I'll put his UFO I'll put his UFO bit on. Um, well, what do you want to what? Do you what's, think he just ate too many donuts and fell asleep early? <laughs> oh my God! What do you want the Pythian tight to be? Well, you, I mean, how 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 depressing has this podcast been for the average listener? I think it should be galvanizing. I, I think it should be galvanizing. I think we need to start speaking up against extreme wealth. I think we need to. I think the thing that I figured out on this podcast is that I am I am empowered to say that extreme wealth is day class A. It always has been. We've gone through some weird period since you know the late '90s until now. I think anybody of any amount of wealth is now touching base with how satisfying the simplest pleasures in life can be: baking, cooking, walks, exercise exploring things that they are trying to learn, um, whether it's crafts or piano like I am or, you know, um, language or connecting with people that they haven't connected for a long time. These are all basic, you know, lovely and easily accessible items that have nothing to do with wealth. And so I think that that is the core of the world and, and that's certainly the core of the landline world. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't go to work and make money and save and per- try to provide a better future for our children, although the chances of that at this point are completely fucked. I will say that – Zero zero chance of that, by the way. I'm just going to add. I think we need to sort of like what is the – I mean maybe someone on like you know social media, which I know nothing about, needs to teach me what is the ultimate way of like you know throwing shade at somebody. How do you slight somebody from afar? Because all these rich people in all these homes who think they have who have all this power and who think that they've achieved, they've achieved, they've climbed to the top of a ladder that I never wanted to get on the first rung of. And, you know, I'm smarter than they are, I'm funnier than they are, I'm more creative than they are, I'm a better cook than they are, and I just don't care that they know how to manipulate people in order to accumulate wealth. It doesn't make a difference to me. So I say Fugazi to them, if that's the right Italian saying, and, you know, I'm going to pursue a life of, of art and leisure and commerce in a, um, in the traditional, you know, Episcopalian way. And, and I'm going to try to re-engage with what makes me happy and I'm not going to worship at the altar of wealth. And and I might call out friends who I see doing so. I think that's a beautiful sentiment. I really do. All right. Well, with that, um, landline, 503-894-8480. Let's leave it there. It was, it was it, you know, be good and be gone. I think I think that's where you want to hit hit the note, man. I think I think that is perfect. All right, call me. And it leaves us. It also leaves us a threatening uh, subtext that we can now go after any friends that we know that are doing too well. Of which there are, of which there are a few specific ones that we'd love to go after. <laughs> yeah. Uh, who doesn't want to name names? All right. Well, everyone should give give ten bucks to charity. How about that? Everyone find ten dollars and give it to charity. How about that? Is that is that like too woke? Am I starting to get into a woke stream? I want to stay an independent. I want to stay an apolitical, a-woke podcast. So, yeah, Don't tell people to give their money to charity. Tell them to give it to you for your podcast. 
so that you can finally pay your guests a salary. All right, well, plant something. How about that? Find some, find a seed, find a sunflower seed, and plant it. All right. Upside uh, down tomatoes. Those always work. Thanks for potting. Um, I look forward to your call on my cell phone tomorrow, worried that you, your performance wasn't good enough. Can't wait. Talk to you soon. Bye. We don't add it anymore. Say it again. Ishii, we love you. Landline.